Well, good morning. Hope you can hear me all right. It's good to be here. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, I don't know how you all are doing. It is a little bit on the humid side. I was hoping yesterday's rain would uh, kind of make it a little better. It's it's better than it could have been, right? We can go with that. Um, hope you're all doing well. I hope you all had a good week. Um, I know for me, for those of you that know, I, I used to want to be an astronaut, so I, I had a, a good time geeking out over the photos that were released uh, from the James Webb Telescope. If you haven't seen them, please do. They're beautiful and amazing, and ah, you just mouth drop. It's amazing. Um, but for a few of you that are visiting, if you don't know who I am, um, I'm Norman. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. It's actually been quite a while since I've had the opportunity to share from the Word with you all. Um, I've been serving the church in other ways as of late. So you've, if you've been coming for a few weeks, you've probably mainly seen me like play or sing or miss a beat on on the djembe. I don't know. It's we like many churches as we're uh, figuring ourselves out. You know the balance of um, who's available on a Sunday have been shifting. So I've just been pulled away in other ways. But I hope, as I'm coming back to the pulpit and sharing with you all, that I'm not too rusty. Hopefully, um, I'm not too distra- distracted by myself. Uh, visitors, we, I know we have a few today. Welcome. We're happy you're here with us. Um, the last few weeks, uh, starting the beginning of this month, we started a new series, um, and it's been called "Love for the Fearful." Love for the fearful, and we're discovering. How love speaks to our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our doubts, our shame. Uh, last week, uh, Josh was leading us through um, this snapshot in Abraham's life. Uh, we heard a, a little bit of Abraham's story today in the lectionary reading, uh, but we had a snapshot of Abraham's life where we learned how the covenant love of God spoke to his fears. Love for the fearful spoke to his fears about the future. Like, where where was he going to go? How how could he be sure? Uh, today, we're actually looking at a particular point in life in Abraham's grandson, Jacob. But rather than fears about the future and what's to come, we'll be looking at his fear of the past—a fear that I expect many of us have. Um, but before we get in, uh, would you join your heart with mine as we? Um, As we pray and ask the Lord to, to speak to us from His Word this morning, uh, so would you join me in prayer? Loving Father, you know us through and through. Every hair on our head, um, every fiber of our being, the worries we carry, the burdens, our baggage, our histories, what we've done. You know us fully, even as we come before you now. So we ask that your Spirit would teach us grace, your boundless grace. Illumine our hearts, remind us of your love, and that you see us through the lens of your Son Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Uh, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 32, uh, starting in verse nine. And Jacob said, "O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, 'Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good.' I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. 
For with only my staff, I cross this Jordan River. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The word of the Lord. Again, we're getting a snapshot, this vignette, this small peak in the life of, this time, Jacob. Um, But I realize we jump straight from Abraham to Jacob. So for those who might not be familiar with his story, um, let me share with you a little bit about our man Jacob this morning. Uh, Jacob, as I said, was the grandson. He's the grandson, the son of Isaac, who was the promised son of Abraham. The one we heard about in the, in the lectionary reading this morning. Um, he was a twin. So the brother that he's fearful of in our passage, the Esau there, was his twin brother. Now what's interesting in the story, if you've been with us the last few weeks, um, we've been tracing the promise of the seed. The promise of the seed. And we would have expected that the seed would come through the firstborn, which was Esau, actually. It wasn't Jacob. We would expect that the promise would go through Esau, but the promise is actually coming through Jacob. Um, the account of their birth tells us, tells us that as Esau was coming out as the firstborn, um, as he was coming out of the womb, Jacob was clutching his heel. He was holding on to his leg, like, almost like, I want to be first. It's almost like that kind of play. Jacob was clutching his heel. Thus they named him Jacob, which literally means clutching the heel. Um, But it also means like a trickster, 
or like a schemer, um, a cheater, even a usurper, one who's going to, you know, overcome. Uh, through, usually through tricky means, he's very tricksy. And that name, Jacob, is the story of his life. Jacob, if you follow his story, would scheme and he would cheat his way through all of his life. Jacob cheated, famously, uh, why he's so fearful of Esau here, he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright for a, for a bowl of soup. Right? Jacob's marriage, uh, he has two wives that you heard in the passage. His marriage to Leah and Rachel, his two wives, came out of a sequence of deceptions. It was all about trickery, um, the trickster being tricked. Uh, the episode immediately before, in, in chapter 31, uh, is when he's leaving from his uh, uncle, his, his father-in-law, interesting, uh, Laban, whom he lived for many years. Um, it was this back and forth about sheep and goats and spotted ones and how you can get a better payment as he's leaving. It was mischief and cheating, even with God. Even with God, Jacob was very tricksy. Um, after, after Jacob deceived Esau and took his birthright, after he deceived Esau and Isaac and took the birthright, God met with him since the blessing was coming through him. God met with him and blessed him as he was fleeing. He was running away from his brother's anger. And do you know, so when, when God was blessing him, do you know what, uh, what Jacob's response was to God? It's kind of like a small little detail, but it's, it's funny if you, if you read it through. Uh, this is from chapter 28 in, Jacob's, uh, in the account of Jacob we have in our Bibles. Um, do you know what his response was? After God gives him the blessing of his presence and his goodness, Jacob hears this blessing and goes, hmm. It goes like this. If, if God, he's talking to God, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, he's leaving. So he adds this and he says, if God will be with me and keep me, and he adds, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. He's like asking for more. What can I get? What more can I squeeze out of this promise? He's a trickster. You're like reading this and you're like, really, Jacob? God just promised to be with you and you're, you're, you're trying to get more out of this bargain. Even with God, Jacob schemes for more. His entire life is surrounded by deception. Trick or be tricked. You got to make it yourself. That's his life name and motto. His life was constantly striving for significance and power. And it got him to got him into all kinds of trouble. That's kind of how we got to this passage where we are. Let's look a little closely at the promise that God gives him because it leads us into our passage today. I'm going to read this for you. It's it's not on the screen or anything, but if if you do have your Bibles with you, uh, this is in Genesis 28 where God is speaking to him. So this is the promise. God says to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. This is on his way out of the land as he's fleeing. Your offspring, God says, shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. And he says, behold... I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will, and will bring you back to this land 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will bring you back into this land. I will bring you back to this land. We're at this point in the story where God is bringing Jacob back. Jacob's coming back to the land that he fled. And at the top of our chapter, we started in verse 9, but the top of our chapter in 32, we started in verse 9. Right before that, Jacob sends messengers to Esau to tell him that he's coming. He doesn't want to just surprise him. He doesn't know what Jacob's going to be like. Jacob sends these messengers to try to find favor with him. He has softened him up. That soup was really good, right? It was, it was worth it. He's trying to soften him up. I'm, I'm coming back. He goes, he sends these messengers to go to Esau, but they return with no reply. These messengers return with no word from his brother Esau. Instead, only to report that Esau is not waiting for him. He's coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, this isn't 400 men coming to throw a party. 400 men in the Bible is the standard number for a military regiment or raiding party. Uh, You'll find that in other um, military episodes in the Bible. 400 men is a pretty standard number uh, for let's fight. And Jacob is scared. He's terrified. You see in the verses today that he's, he's, he's desperate in his prayer to God. He's fearing, he's fearing that his past is now coming to get him. It's catching up to him. So what does he do? What would Jacob do? He divides his assets. He schemes. He hedges his bets. As his brother's army is approaching, he's scheming, right? He's doing his tricksy things again. And you can hear that panic, that inner conflict in his heart, even as he's praying. Because here's a man, right? Here's a man who has experienced God's goodness. He's experienced it before. Um, If anything, he's he's drawing an allusion to it in his prayer. He fled from his home with just a staff. That's all he had. He didn't have time to pack bags. He offended his brother. He tricked his father. His mother was kind of scheming with him. And he's, he's running as fast as he can. Only a staff in hand. But now he's returning back to his land with what? Two camps. Two camps. And God has shown him goodness just by looking at what's around him. But he's still afraid. He's afraid. He's fearful. And he's desperately trying to hold on to God's promise in his prayer. He's fearful, and he's trying to trust God. He's afraid, but wait, God, God, you've done good things. I don't deserve it, but I'm afraid. What a, if we read this and we're not trying to make everything so neat, it's, it's a very good reflection of our hearts. What a telling picture of us and how we are inside. Our hearts are often conflicted in this way. You see, like when things are going well, when our troubles seem out of sight and they're out of mind, we look, we appear a little settled. We think things are all right. But when our, when our past can, can stay hidden, we can receive blessings. We can look at one another. We can greet one another in our communal greeting and be like, oh, everything's fine. We can affirm and proclaim God's goodness with confidence. 
But when it seems like our past, the thing that we fear is coming at us like an unstoppable army, like 400 men bent on hurting us, when it's not in our control, we start to question if God's promise is really true. We're we're not sure anymore. Is God's promise still going to apply to me with all that I've done? Even with the ways that I acted towards my family? Even with the ways that I've acted towards my friends? How I've been selfish? How I've hurt people? How maybe you've You've bulldozed your way through friendships, burning bridges. And we pause and we, we wonder, like, surely God's promise can't extend to someone like me. Someone who has cheated, who has murdered, who has hurt other people. Surely not to someone like me. In some ways, all of us are like Jacob. Jacob. Because we know the goodness of God. Even if, even if you're just exploring faith, you're trying to figure what this faith is about, you're visiting today and you're not, you know something, or at least you know what's said about God, right? You hear the common phrases, you know, God is love, he's merciful and gracious, and, you know, from Psalm 103, even from our assurance today. He's generous, right? We heard a bit about that. But what if God knew What if God knew? What if God really knew all the parts that I would like to keep in the past? What if my past was laid out in the open? Would God's goodness, his love, his his mercy, his generosity still extend to me? I know for some of us, it might not be what you've done in your past. It, It might be what was done to you. That's also part of our past. It's what happened to us that we think cancels out God's promise to us. At least we struggle with that. Like we might understand it in our heads, but our our beings still struggle with it. What happened to us, we think cancels it out. It disqualifies us. We're not worthy of good things. At least that's how we live. It's what happened to us that leads us to doubt whether or not God really is good. In our lives, it seems as though we've only experienced pain. You know, life has chewed us up and spit us out. We identify with Jacob, you know, the story that I recounted. We identify with Jacob in his, uh, his strife and his trickery and his struggle. But we don't, we don't really identify with his apparent successes. Right? That, that part has been foreign to us. I think many of us are living afraid of our past, Afraid about what our past says about us, about who we are. What does your past say about you? Who are you? Like, think about that. When you you take a second to think about what you've done, what's been done to you, who are you? How have you ended up where you are today? Who are you? In the verses... uh, in our chapter 10 to 21 in between, we find this conflicted Jacob playing this out. He's conflicted. God's good, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid God's good. So what does Jacob end up doing? In verses 10 10 to 21, we find him just leaning into what he knows, what he's known his whole life. What's safe to Jacob is his scheming. 
So he thinks, perhaps I can butter up my brother, you know, butter him up to save himself. So he has this little plan. I'll just summarize it for you. Um, he, he decides to send his brother gifts. He sends him presents. But not just one gift, right? It's not just one present that he sends him. He sends him a slow drip of gifts delivered by these messengers, tributes, right? There were flocks and flocks of sheep, milking cows, goats, donkeys, all of this, these these. A mark of wealth in that time. And the messengers would not only bring these gifts to him, but you'll see in the passage that there's also this flattering language, right? Jacob instructs his messengers to say, oh, this is for Lord Esau from your servant, Jacob. Oh, another one for Lord Esau from from your servant, Jacob. Oh, here's another. He sends multiple messengers, Jacob instructed his servants to space them enough apart to maximize their effect. He also at the same time sends his family across a river, and we got to that in our passage today, just to get another layer of security. He's taking matters into his own hands. Jacob knew what he was doing. He's, He's an expert at this. He was living into the story that he's been telling himself, that others have told about him. He was living into his identity from his very birth. Jacob. The schemer, the trickster, the one who strives, the one who wins at any cost. But he was actually at his lowest point. He's trying to scheme to win, but God had other plans for him that night. In verse 24, uh, we get this turn. In verse 24, after all the scheming, he sends the messengers to butter up his brother He sends his family and his assets across a river. You know, the 400 men hopefully can't just cross the river quickly. In verse 24, after all this scheming, after all this self-salvation, we get this dramatic line. It says, and Jacob was alone. Jacob was alone. Do you see that? It's at the very front of verse 24. And I know when we read this story, if you're familiar with Jacob's story, you want to jump straight to the wrestling part because that's, you know, that's where the action is. But this part in the beginning of verse 24, and Jacob was alone, is so significant. If you follow the track of Jacob's whole life, which we tried to trace, at least I tried to trace it for you in the beginning, and especially in the flow of the entire of chapter 32, you'll find this deliberate repetition of two. It's always two, right? There's two sons, which is a surprise. It would be so much easier if there was just one son and we didn't have all this craziness. There's two sons. There's two wives. There's two servants. There's two camps. Two, two all over the place in his story. This is kind of like a literary, if you just read it all the way through, you'll find this pattern. It's kind of shocking, actually. And and in his scheming from verses 10 to 21, not just 222, but also 20 and 200. If you hear this out loud, it would start to echo. You hear 222, and then we get to this climax. He's finished all his scheming, and then it says, and Jacob was one. Jacob was alone. He was alone. It's the very same word 
that you find in the very, very beginning of Genesis when God declared, to similar dramatic effect, when he says, it's not good for man to be alone. There's something wrong here. It's not good. And as we're alluded to that particular, through dramatic effect, literary dramatic effect, and Jacob was alone? We're reminded of God's promise. Do you remember what I was reading for you in chapter 28? We're reminded of God's promise to Jacob. Do you remember what he said to him? As he was leaving from this place, and we're coming back right now, as he was leaving from this land that he's returning to, God said to him this, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob, Jacob wasn't alone. He felt alone. He was at his lowest point. But God was with him. God was still with him. God didn't wait for Jacob to trust God more. God didn't wait for Jacob to um, let go and let God. God didn't wait for Jacob to even repent. God comes to us in an act of grace. God comes and makes his presence so known. He stayed true to his promise to not leave him. And he made his presence unmistakable. He wrestled with him. He wrestled with Jacob all night. And he showed his power to him just by touching the socket of his hip. And then they had this chat. I don't know if it's a chat because they're like really struggling. Like you have to imagine like they're like talking to each other. But let's, let's take a look at their dialogue because I think we'll find our good news there. If you look at verse 26, the passage tells us, and he, the, the man, said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Again, it's similar. But then the man replies to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God asks him, what is your name? When God asks this question, he's not looking for information. God already knows. God asks this for Jacob to reflect and acknowledge who he is, who he's become, to pause and consider the story of his life through the name that he was given. And names are so significant in the biblical narrative. Jacob has been living out his name, the story of a schemer, of a trickster, one who has to constantly fight and strive to survive. God asks him to reflect What is your name? So church, what is your name? What is the name that you have told, that you have lived into? What is your identity? Are you the unlovable one? The damaged one? The one who doesn't deserve happiness? Are you the failed parent? Are you the one that people keep rejecting from work? Are you the one with a checkered past? What is your name? King's Cross, what is your name? What is the story that you've been telling yourself? 
God says to Jacob, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. He gets a new name. And just as we know that Jacob means schemer, trickster, do you know what the root of Israel is? We don't often study that one. It's in the passage to kind of. The L at a lot of uh, biblical words is God. I hope the L at the end is God. Um, but the root, the root in the middle there of this word is, I don't expect you to remember this, but it's in case for trivia one day, it's surah-ah. And it's the Israel, the, the root there is surah-ah, and it means lordliness. It means like a lord. It's why our English translations often use the word prevail. Prevails. A, a, a lord prevails. A lord has authority. A lord reigns. You will no longer be known by your old story, Jacob. I will give you a new one. One where you prevail not by your scheming, but you will prevail because you are with God. You prevail with God. You're no longer defined by your past. All of this in this little dialogue going on. What you've done, what's been done to you, it doesn't define you. The Lord has given you a new name, a new identity. No longer Jacob, but Israel. Now you sitting here, wow, that's really cool for, for Jacob. That's really cool for Jacob, right? But how about today? How is this true today? How about, how about me? If you, if you look at verse 29 you'll see this kind of hint to how this promise of a new identity jumps forward to us. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But the response, he doesn't say, any, he doesn't say his name. What is his response? He says, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. When he replies to Jacob, why is it that you ask my name? Again, it's not some whatever question, banter in the middle of their struggling. Every word counts if you're, you know, wrestling. Just as before, the question draws us deeper. It draws Jacob deeper. This time, not to our identity and our story, but to our longings. Our longing to know the one who satisfies us, the one who's giving him a new name. Who is this that gives these new identities? Who is it that sets us free? Who is it that makes us new? Because Jacob, in this wrestling, he received confirmation that God's promise was still good to him. He received it in a new name. But the promise had, the, the true promise had yet to be fully complete. And the question that he's asking, why is it that you ask? It reveals there's still a longing. The promise seed, his deepest desire the very satisfaction that Jacob was longing for is reflected in this question, why do I want to know his name? Why do I want to know his name? Why is it that we ask this? Why do we have this longing for eternity, for wholeness, for peace? You see, the rest of scripture answers this. It draws us towards this name. To know the identity of the one who will satisfy. And his name has been revealed as Jesus the Christ, the promised one, the promised seed that we've been tracing. For Jesus, the promised seed will do the very same thing that this wrestler did for Jacob, for all who come to him. Paul, if you know Paul, 
the apostle with a checkered past. If you know his story, it's pretty checkered. He writes about Jesus and teaches that, it, that it, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is in Jesus Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and it's like, behold, the new has come. God rewrites our stories in Jesus Christ. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, teaches us that all who receive him, who believe in his name, have the right to become children of God, a new family name. The old is gone, the new has come. How does this happen? You see, the scriptures tell us that on the cross, Jesus wrestled with sin and death in order to give us the blessing of new life, his life. And his resurrection proves that he prevailed over sin and death. The powers that keep us from our deepest longings, he prevailed when he rose from the dead. Church, this is the gospel that Jesus, that in Jesus, everything that was broken, the part of our past that we want to just like keep tucked away under the carpet, the stories of our past that want to define us, that call us names that are not ours, they're rewritten. We have new names. We're made new in him. This is the message that the church received and continues to proclaim today. Will you put away your old name, your old identity, your worn out story that others are telling about you, that you may be telling about yourself and receive the life that Christ offers us in himself. This episode in Jacob's life, it changed everything about him. Um, We know in the very last verse of chapter 32, might be up here, it says that this was so significant in the life of Jacob and for that all of his children, um, this is the first time it uses the name Israel, the children of Israel kept this statute, this um, dietary restriction where they, where they don't eat the socket. They don't eat that part, right? It was a dietary restriction to remember this moment when they received a new name when they were made new. Likewise, when Jesus knew that it was about time, he knew what was happening. He knew that the promise was, the promise that Jacob waited for was going to be completely finished. He gave us this meal. He gave us this meal in remembrance of him, to remember what he's done and what he continues to do for us. He knew the cross was before him. And that all was about to be accomplished. And he, on the night he was betrayed, he had this meal that he gave us. He took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this blood is a covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me, you proclaim the Lord's return. You proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So people of God, we observe this meal together to remember what God has done for us. That he has wrestled sin and death. That he has given us a new name. 
So church, this meal here is for those who have put their faith in him, who have received that new name, who have been baptized in his name, and who are part of a community, a family that is in his name. If if you have yet to meet, to get to know our Lord Jesus, we, we ask that you would just take a moment just to reflect. There is this name that is being offered to you, a new identity, a new story. We ask that you just take a, take a step back today. Reflect that there are some prayers in your bulletin. But this, this is a meal for, for people who have received this name, have received the right to be called children of God. If, if those three things that are true of you, you've put your faith in him, you've been baptized, and are part of a church family, we invite you to come. I'm going to ask um, our elected leaders to come and help me serve these elements. Um, as you come, we're going to come in through the middles and back to your seat. And I want you to, f- we're going to take a few extra minutes today just to reflect. What is your story that you tell about yourself? And as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what is the story of life that Jesus is giving to us, giving to you? And I hope you'll receive that today. Um, so if you're ready, please come.